I really like pears. Welcome back to a new episode of the DWD podcast, episode 017. That's episode 17. Crazy. Asher, commentary? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it is crazy that we're at 17. Bet. And for the 17th episode, we have a really amazing guest with us, Drew it's Gold. Always a really amazing really, guest. Always a really amazing guest, <laughs> but this time, one of my, another amazing guest, Drew Goldman. Pleasure to be here. This is our second time going through this because my computer crashed. So so as we do with every guest, Drew, and as we did before this until the computer crashed, could you give a little bit of a description of yourself, things you're interested in? Sure. So uh, I'm Drew. I'm a graduating senior from Roslyn High School, just turned 18 years old. Okay. Uh, and uh, this is a big transition in my life because I'm going to college next year at Virginia. And... Um, some things I'm interested in. I love tennis. I love golf. I love being active, eating healthy. Uh, and on the other side, I love certain subjects in school, computer science, economics, math. Those are really my passions. Math and science, kid. Well Plus said. the working out. So we've been meaning to have a conversation about healthy living for a very long time. Um, Drew has always been in the back of our minds as one of the people who's always been at it, been very, very consistent. So we're very glad to have you on today. Um, Joey and I have both wanted to have this conversation. Joey especially, because he's way more into For this sure. stuff than I am. I'm hyped. Um, so I think the first thing that we should get at baseline is we should do a little defining. Since this is an open conversation about healthy living, especially as a young adult, I think we should define what does it mean in all of our minds to live a healthy life. So we could just go around the table, give a little bit of our description, what we think of that. Drew, you want to start? Sure. So in my mind, um, to be physically healthy, you you need to have consistency, uh, both in the kitchen where, when you're eating and in the gym. <clears throat> um, you see plenty of guys who commit to a healthy lifestyle maybe two, three days a week, but then the rest of the week... They go off, they eat donuts, they eat dessert, um, they don't work out. And those guys really don't see any results and they don't really feel too, too good uh, physically. So really to be healthy, you need to maintain consistency. That's my number one thing. Absolutely. Drew, sure. Joe, you want to start there? Um, yeah. So following along with the whole physical fitness aspect of it, I think that what Drew said is 100% correct. Consistency is key. Um, but also to know where your boundaries lie and to know what your goals are, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. Um, but knowing where you are in your life and understanding what your objectives are, if you want to put on muscle, if you want to lean out, if you just want to maintain understanding that and being intact with yourself, I think is one aspect of being a healthy individual. I think the other sides that we've touched on before, um, when it comes to living a healthy life also include your mental and emotional health, which are very, very important. And, and I would also argue intrinsically tied to your physical health. Um, I know in the past for me, one very easy way to improve my mental health and get myself out of my, my like mental state was to go and run. That was just my go-to thing for the longest time. It's really simple. You just put shoes on, you go outside, you run for three miles, you feel much better, you get a runner's high. 
and it reduces your emotional angst, your mental like instability, whatever it is. So I think those are all tied together. And I also think what what you've both said at least a little bit, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about it more. The fact that what you're eating is really the fuel for everything else is super important. Okay, glad that's out of the way now. So I think we should jump into your story a little bit, Drew. Uh, you seem to have been at this for three or four years very consistently. I remember pretty distinctly us having exchanges where we talked about how many push-ups you were doing. And it was always a ridiculous quantity. Over 1,000. <laughs> So where did this all start? Why did you get into physical fitness? Sure. So um, as a kid, I ate average. I ran cross country, nothing too special. I wasn't really focused or anything. But my major shift happened right after ninth grade when I went to a summer program in New Haven at Yale. And this summer program, luckily, uh, I was surrounded by many foreign kids, kids from Portugal, Brazil, Spain, France, Italy, and all these kids had the craziest healthy lifestyles, um, lifestyles like I've never seen before, so different from those of American kids. And these kids would would eat tons of protein and they would eat huge portions of vegetables and um, they would go to the gym. And one exchange with this one foreign kid, uh, this kid from Brazil named Breno. Breno asked me, hey, Drew, you want to come to the gym with us? And I said, sure. So I went to the gym. I fell in love. He showed me a bunch of different workouts some that I even still do today. And ever since then, I've just, I've been on a consistently healthy lifestyle. And one thing's led to another. And um, it's become a bigger and bigger part of my life. Until so did you today. fall in love with Braino or with the gym? <laughs> <laughs> Braino was a very nice kid. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> but I would say Braino is the person who introduced me to my love of fitness. For awesome. Sure. I think I actually want to jump into Sweet. this now because you noti- you um you notice something and something that I think Joey and I have also noticed is Americans have a very different yeah, relationship with their fitness real. than Europeans or Latin Americans, basically the whole rest of the world. In your own experience, what does that difference look like? How what what are Americans doing that Europeans are not? I think Americans are putting too much thought into it. Um as opposed to Americans, Europeans actually just, they just do fitness. They work out just because they like it, because it's a passion of theirs. Um, if they want to go outside and play soccer for a few hours, they'll go outside and play soccer. But I think Americans put too much stress on getting ahead and too much stress on how they relate to others. And they'll just, Americans really isolate themselves more mm-hmm. and they won't really um, ask for help as much. Maybe in the gym they'll they'll just they want to keep to themselves, um, see how much they can do themselves. But I think the big difference is how much um, people rely on one another, and Europeans really take advantage of other people's help. For sure, sure. Joe, I feel the seems same. Seems like you're very excited. Yeah, about I was this excited about this because <laughs> I I had a really similar story to you actually last summer. I I went to an immersion program at Columbia, and. It was really just a mind-boggling experience for me because I got to see so many different cultures in one compact area. Like I walked in and I thought that all the kids were from America and then I heard these kids talking and I'm like, uh, well, what language is this? <laughs> you know, but for real, I could just see that 
exercise as a whole, whether it be walking, running, swimming, jumping, lifting, it really does not matter. It's ingrained in their culture. Mm -hmm. And because of that, their objectives are more long-term, whereas in America, the objective is more short-term. So like six-month shred to get abs or something like that. I just don't think that that's as prominent in European countries as it is in the United States. They have a more like Instead of a one-year plan, they have like a five-year or 10-year plan. Americans are very focused on very immediate responses. And, and especially in the gym, if you're focused on getting an immediate change, it just will not happen. Like that, and I think that's the biggest hurdle for myself when it comes to working out, realizing it takes time and it's layering your muscles. It's not getting inflated muscles because that's just something I don't want. That's very difficult. And I think it's ingrained in american culture to be very focused on what's the next thing what's the next thing what's the next thing what's the next thing instead of thinking this is my long-term strategy this is something i need to do for my entire life um when i think about at least from a cultural perspective from 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 my end of the perspective when i talk to my dad who who's a doctor about fitness especially when it comes to the people that he sees in his office he works with predominantly um, Russian patients, and they tend to be very old. He's an eye doctor, so you're typically not going to see like a two-year-old come in unless there's an extraneous case. And he always talks about how the people who are living the longest have the greatest mobility, have the greatest even mental functions, are people who work out every single day, but they don't go hard. They do like... Maybe 50 70%. Yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting. Um this idea that you don't have to go 150% all the time. And in reality, if you do like 80% of what your, what your full capacity is, that might end up leading you to have a better life. What is your take on that? What do you think a long-term, since you're, you seem to be focused on a long-term strategy, what does a long-term strategy look like to you? Um, so for me, I learned to kind of meld my workouts, meld my lifestyle around what my current life situation is or was at the time. So uh, I know during sophomore year, junior year, I was extremely busy with schoolwork. I always had studying, I had clubs, I had tennis and golf during the year. And it was really hard to find time to, to fit in a, a workout where I could just put in 100% of my energy. Uh, so to compensate, I would do portions of workouts. I would maybe go on the treadmill at a moderate speed, maybe three and a half miles per hour, 15 incline, and I would just study. Um, because I learned that multitasking is one of the best things that you can do. Hmm. Not only do you keep yourself distracted um, from being on the treadmill, but you're also just, it's so much easier to focus in on what you're studying. And that's one of the biggest tricks that I've learned, multitasking, studying on the treadmill, big, big trick. It's a controversial trick, though. A yeah. lot of people argue that multitasking. I think in this case, it's it's actually like very true. I I did the same exact stuff whenever I, especially was trying to think something out. I noticed that I'm way better if I'm walking than if I'm sitting, which is kind of odd because we always sit during these podcasts. Um, but. For some reason, just walking around. <laughs> She's literally just going to start walking yeah, everywhere around like, the room. Right, you insist, dude. Um, but for some reason, and I think there's research to back that up, the blood flow, I, I'm i going to throw something out there. Blood flow probably helps with some sort of cognitive capacities. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Joey, it seems like you have a take on this that you want to throw in there. Uh, studying, I mean, multitasking as a whole, I just... 
I don't know. For me, I'm a very scattered person as is. Like my mind is all over the place. So when I try and study on the treadmill, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It really depends on what I'm what I'm doing. But um, if I have time to kill, that's like one of the things which I've noticed through my own fitness journey. If you have time to kill, like use it. Make the most of it. And if you're sitting down watching Netflix, like I'm not trying to flame anyone who's who's on the other end who's watching Netflix at the same time as watch as listening to this podcast. But like you have so much time in your life. And if you don't use it, it would be a waste, mm. especially on something that's useful. That's why I started working out. I'm sure that's why you started working out too. I mean, I'm sure I actually want to, since we talked about Drew's story, yeah. I think we should also do you some justice and give you a chance to, to talk about your story, Joey. Hmm. Um, what is your story with physical fitness? When did um, it start? Okay. So I think my real, I mean, I've always been a fairly active kid, but I've never really focused hard on my fitness and just well-being as a whole up until eighth grade. So around the same time as you, but in eighth grade, I don't know what was going on. I was I was very anxious. Like I'm, I'm naturally just a very anxious kid. Um, have a lot of anxiety. And one of the ways which I heard you can cope with that anxiety is through physical activity, particularly like steady state cardio, right? So running, swimming, jump roping, just something that gets your body active because the endorphin release basically balances out whatever you're going through. So in eighth grade, I got my dad gave me a workout program, which in the long term was a really bad idea. I, but I did the it, same exact. It got me started. Um, and I think we'll go into it more. But in short, it's a one 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 program where one push up, one pull up, one squat. It's basically in a, a circuit. It's basically for 30 a burpee. Minutes. It's a burpee and, plus a pull up. Yeah. And it, it was so killer. It was so killer. It was basically just a hit circuit. You would sweat your ass like you yeah. literally would not be able to not break a sweat yeah. during it. So uh, I started off on that, and I have an addictive personality as is, so I got addicted to that, um, and I, I took it to an extreme, and I got down to 90 pounds in eighth grade, and I looked like a frail stick, but I was like 6% body fat, and I felt terrible. So my initial intention of walking in to benefit myself started downsloping because I took it to an extreme, but... As I progressed through my fitness journey, I learned, I watched a lot of YouTube videos, read a lot, and I basically curated my own program to make something that's sustainable for me. So currently I'm working out three days a week, three to four days a week. Um, and, in, and in those in-between days, I'm still working out. I'm just not in the gym. But I've had to learn as I went along, and it's a long process. It's a little bit irritating, but in the long term, it definitely helped me out. One thing that Joe and I have talked about a little bit is the idea that you can get hooked on pretty much anything, just like Joe was saying. But And Joe, I think you should hop into this because I think it's an interesting point of discussion. The idea that it almost saved you um, from not only your anxiety, but from a potential path that you could have gone through. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little about that? Yeah. Um, for me in particular, I think that if I hadn't started working out and caring about what I put into my body, I would be a crackhead. <laughs> and I say that in like the nicest way possible. But knowing myself, I don't know how else I would have expressed myself and kind of worked with my own inner demons if I weren't to have worked out. So I think personally that although it's kind of difficult to think about, I would probably be on the wrong path. 
And so I thank God every day who or whoever's up there mm-hmm. <laughs> that someone gave me a pull-up bar, someone showed me a push-up, someone showed me that I could craft something and have control over my life in a world of disorder. Yeah. Um, which sometimes is a terrible mentality because you try and get control over things that you don't really have control over. But in this case, I, I just finally had a grasp on my life when I didn't feel like I did beforehand. So it, it saved me. Uh, Drew, do you have any other experiences, of some, something maybe even like that, where it takes you out of the place that you're currently in a bad situation that you'd want to talk about? I actually have a very similar outlook on that, on that uh, opinion. Um, so my, I've been in situations where I've been peer pressured to, to drink or to use other substances. And my one rebuttal, the one thing that I can always say will get me out of it is, I'm sorry. I'm just, um, I care too much about my body right now. Damn. Damn. Yo, that is the best thing. Most people are like, nah, sorry. Like my parents will kill me. Drew's like, I care. My body is my temple. My temple. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I like that though. I like that. Continue, continue. Um, so, uh, personally, eating healthy and having that mentality not only keeps me from wanting to engage in those activities, but it also gives me a reason not to. Mm-hmm. And I think I could tell myself that over and over again. And if I just, if I know that I could just keep to my healthy lifestyle and avoid certain things that aren't the best for you, um, I'm going to stay happy regardless. And you, you learn that. Um, you go through different phases in your life. If you're between the ages of 16 and 30, you're probably going to be surrounded by people who want to engage in those activities. And those people, if they want to engage, it's fine. They're having fun. They, they can do their own thing. But I've kind of learned to enjoy the situation naturally. Do you think that's a generalizable experience? Like if someone is interested in physical fitness, interested in their health, do you find that they tend to veer away from drug use like that? I think it could go either way. Yeah. I've seen people who are very intense in the gym, but at the same time, they'll go very intense with what they do, um, how far they could push their body in other uh, physical ways. Um, I, I mean, you always see those guys who will do the, a 200-pound bench press, and then they'll go drink a whole handle of vodka. Yeah, it's disgusting. And, and those guys, while they may be in good shape, it's just it's killing the inside of their body and mm. it makes it even harder to keep up a consistent workout style um so i th- I, I think it can go either way one concept that I, as a family we've we've kind of talked about is the idea of being skinny fat like where you you look like you're kind of healthy like you're not you're not fat but on your the outsides outside. are rotting yeah like there are people that we've known in the past who like their diet consisted of literally pizza and that's it and it's someone like, you know someone that was me <laughs> <laughs> well i mean there are other people too but that well i mean that's an interesting problem have you always been okay with eating the way that you currently eat like a lot of vegetables a lot of fruits was there ever a time where drew had like just a terrible diet uh there was actually never a time where i've had a terrible diet i've always been relatively healthy just because of how my parents raised me Mm. but my my mom would always just offer me cake and cookies and all these extra snacks and i think by her offering me 
all this candy and whatever I want to eat, it made me not want to eat that stuff. Yeah. So I actually thank my mom for shoving all this unhealthy food in my face. Wow. Because I think it may have led to um, my lifestyle today. Pretty cool. Joey, what's your experience with, with healthy eating? Mm, good question. So initially, I survived off of pizza and chicken nuggets because I was like a five-year-old and that's but, all but that But never real chicken nuggets. But never right? real chicken nuggets. I never. <laughs> I was always like relatively vegetarian, but I whatever. It was just processed garbage. So I was not clean in just at all. I always loved fruits and vegetables, well, more towards the fruit side. But I mean, once I noticed what my diet was looking like, like literally just writing down what I ate throughout the day, I was like, oh shit, like this, this is not good. I should really change this. So I mean, just being cognizant of what I'm putting into my body, it's allowed me to change and develop. And now I follow more of like an 80-20 pattern. I mean, because of course your diet can never be perfect and that's something that I've had to live with. So 80% of the time it's clean food, 20% of the time it's like moderate to not so great food, but it's okay. That's how life works. True. Um, my biggest kind of like downfall when it came to healthy eating was I would like to sneak snacks and I did this all the time and every time I got caught, I was like, no, I promise I'm not doing anything. Um, I would like go into the pantry and I'd see like, oh, there's a cookie there. Like I'm gonna have a cookie and all that stuff adds up. It's all the, it's all the little things that you do that in the end add up to a very big consequence. So there was a time in my life where I was, I was never like fat, but I looked like chubby. Um, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like when you're little, you're not supposed to look like a super ridiculously strong, small kid. Like that just probably is not good for you. Um, but I always had a hard time with food. I still have a hard time with food. I still can't eat enough, um, which is a very weird thing because a lot of people will talk about healthy living and they're like, you got to cut back on how much you're eating, especially because I feel like, and this is, maybe this jumps into a, a conversation about like preventative type of medicine and healthcare. I feel like as a society, we focus so much on the end result and how to fix it after something happens. So like, let's say uh, we have a, a, an epidemic of diabetes in this country. In this country. And so they'll prescribe insulin, this, that, the other. And type 2 diabetes for a very, very long time was never considered to be something that could happen to children. And now we have, as a country, the highest rate of childhood type 2 diabetes. And you ask the question of why is there not something that's happening before that occurs? Because it's not something that's, you, you could be genetically predisposed to diabetes, but type 2 diabetes is caused by, for example, being um, overweight. Why are we not focusing on making sure they don't get overweight instead of on the back end prescribing them a drug that already is a ridiculous price, so they're paying a ton of money and it's not really helping them because they'll never be able to drop out of it. So for me, that's been a hard thing, knowing that, like, I'm trying to be healthy. I don't want to end up to be, like, obese, um, overweight, preventing my, I think it's all a process of preventing myself into that type of world. Because bo both of our parents have been overweight, are overweight. Um, luckily, they don't experience anything with diabetes. But when our dad started to get very into fitness again, it was when he was told he was pre-diabetic. 
and he dropped like 90 pounds. He's like, I'm safe. His body, he went too hard, like I've done before. Metabolic stress was just not not there. And he, he, did killed... a, he, he did a bunch of ketosis, and he yeah. was just eating up his entire body. Mm. Um, and now he's bounced back, and he's like above 200 pounds, which isn't ideal, but it's about finding the middle line. And I don't know, I find, what, what's, what do you think about preventative medicine? Do you think fitness can act as preventative medicine in a way? Um, to answer that question, definitely. Mm-hmm. Fitness is probably the best uh, medicine that you can offer your body. Um, as we said, your body is your temple. Everything that you put into your body, your body is going to process. So if you look at any individual, what they're made up of is entirely based on what they eat, what they drink, um, and anything else that they put into their body. And um, basically, you could shape your body however you want to. If you want to change your lifestyle right away, you can do that. It just, you can't do things so drastically, whereas you might change your lifestyle for a few months and then uh, you might just automatically revert back to how you were living. I think everything takes uh, gradual, uh, everything evolves gradually. So if you want to start eating more healthily, you need to do it gradually. You need to cut out things slowly. And um, the best medicine that you can offer your body is just to stay consistent to your healthy lifestyle and uh, just hammer through it. I agree. Um, do you ever think that downtime is needed, though? Because I think that America... like the rest day. America, I, I think it's a good point of conversation. Yeah, America always presses, like, presses that grind mentality 110%, which I'm all for, but in moderation. Because you can't always run at 110%. You'll plateau, you'll burn out. So do you think that rest days are necessary or just even mental rest from what you've been doing throughout the day? 100%. If you don't take a rest day then your body is just automatically going to become too tired and you'll become discouraged to work out again. I've had days where I've worked out five, six, seven days in a row and I'm so sore and so tired <laughs> after those six or seven days that it'll it'll start as just one rest day and then I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm still sore. Maybe I'll take another rest day hmm. and then another rest day. And because I worked out so hard for those six or seven days in a row, it might take me four or five rest days to fully recover. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to space out your rest days is extremely important. For sure. So you take that intuitive approach to your workouts, right? Where you're just like, I'm feeling a little wonky today. Let's just change it up. Yeah. Cool. It's that mind-muscle connection that I think... I don't think our, our country accepts that that's important yeah in anything it's just your gut feeling like if you feel bad one day why would you do something yeah to strain it you know when it comes to to poor habits i have kind of a weird theory on how to change them i'm interested on both of your opinions i think if you have a bad habit you almost have to lean into your bad habit in order to change it now it sounds very weird at the onset but i'll give an example let's say you're a police officer right the classic thing that a police officer eats, donuts. <laughs> and so let's say Billy Bob goes to, <laughs> who's a police officer, goes to donuts store, goes to Dunkin' Donuts every single day. But he notices that right next door is a salad bar. 
what Billy Bob should do is every time he's on his morning routine going to Dunkin' Donuts, he shouldn't do the radical thing of say, I can never go near this place ever again. I just have to stay away. I got to stay away like it's the plague. Instead, continue in your morning routine. You've ingrained it for the last, let's say he's been working for 15 years. But instead of going to Dunkin' Donuts, you take two steps to your left and you go into the salad bar every single morning and you get a salad instead. So in that way, you're doubling down on your bad habit in the sense that you're continuing with a routine that otherwise you might think you need to change, but you're slightly changing it, literally by two steps and walking into a different place. What you said before, I think, probably goes most in line with that, but what do you think of that idea? Because I've gotten pushback on that because people are like, no, if you continue with your poor habit, it's just going to continue down a bad route. You're just going to go back to the donut shop. So what, what do you think of that idea? Uh, I think that's a great analogy, but I, I, I do agree with you there. Um, if you try to change one of your habits within, uh, such a short time period, you're going to end up wanting to go back to that bad habit, yeah. whether you want to or not. Um, because your body is just, your, your body just becomes used to those habits. Um, if you, let's say you have an ice cream cone every night, um, and then you stop having that ice cream cone for a week, maybe two weeks, you're going to start to want to crave that ice cream again. So maybe instead to satiate yourself, you should uh, instead have some berries or have some fruit, something sweet that's also healthy mm -hmm. that could make you uh, can kind of mellow down that habit. Mm -hmm. It's finding almost alternatives to what you previously had. It's that small shift. Ooh, When it comes to alternatives... Um, one thing that I've noticed a lot more is the idea of healthy junk food. Ah, uh, um, so especially huge business especially now. since um, Joey and I have changed being more plant based, there has been a surge in healthy what people would say are healthy junk foods. For example, veggie burger. Right there's a there's a company called the Impossible Burger. Uh, the Impossible Meats. Really interesting company. Highly recommend if any of you are interested in um, agriculture, sustainability, um, interested in, in a lifestyle being plant-based, I would look into their stuff. It's very interesting. But their, their mission is literally to get all of their meat, which is an alternative to, let's say, like cow meat. And it tastes relatively similar. It looks like it bleeds. They do a lot of science related to that. Their mission is to get it in all of the fast food industry. Because they think that that's how you shift people away from, from previously bad, what they consider to be meat. The hard thing is people then think, this is healthier for me, so it's okay if I eat it. But eating something from Taco Bell is still probably not the healthiest thing that you can eat. So it's this like far, false idea that just because it's, you know, maybe it's not meat, we're taking out a little milk, taking out a little bad stuff, it's okay now. But in reality, it's actually just not okay. So in my mind, I think that is one of the hardest things that we're facing, at least now. Because healthy junk food, there's, it's very hard to have healthy junk food that consists of fruits and vegetables. Right? That's just ridiculous. Unless you're like taking your fruit and covering it in sugar, you're gonna basically be okay. Real talk, though, like people say that living a healthy life is super difficult. I think it's all mental. Mm. Like once you get past that mental barrier of society telling you it's impossible, like it's impossible to live this clean lifestyle and shift your mindset to it is possible if I put in the 
particular amount of work and effort that I need to put in, then it makes it a lot easier. Like eating fruits and vegetables is really not that easy. It's really not that difficult. I mean, it's literally going to a store and buying some fruits and vegetables. And And there's sometimes a monetary argument that's made with healthy living. True. Where they're like, ah, I can't afford it. True. I'll tell you what, we went to a dollar store mm-hmm. like two days ago. And I, we were just curious, or not, not two days ago, like two weeks ago. We yeah. were just curious. How can you live a healthy lifestyle at a dollar store? on a low cost level? So if you don't have a lot of money to spend, how can you still live a healthy life? And I'll tell you what, I was so surprised, so surprised at how easy it was to live a healthy lifestyle while on a low budget. Buying two five pounds i think like five pounds of beans was one dollar five pounds of rice one dollar i was like what this is crazy and then on top of that bananas are like 57 cents per pound i mean if you really want to live a low-cost lifestyle where you don't spend a lot of money and still stay healthy it's so possible so you basically just rattled out like three dollars worth of food. yeah it's like three dollars worth of food and you have like a week and so i think <laughs> The hard thing is, especially when it comes to the intersection of healthy living um, and the impoverished, because I think there's a big conversation around that where um, companies, especially because of their lobbying, get, oh, and I want to talk about this actually, in school, I view this almost as propaganda, where your lunch choices, especially like when we were in middle school, the school lunch is always something like there's milk, there's um, something like fries, there's chicken nuggets sometimes, sloppy joe, all this stuff. And they don't want us to <laughs> live healthy. Right like <laughs> Drew is shaking his head for anyone who's listening. Do you think our government, or at least our educational policy, is wrong in that sense? And in, in your mind, what should school lunches look like? 100%. Um, so you see those advertisements on television of, especially on Disney channel, Nickelodeon, like got milk. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and they try to picture, they, they try to make these school lunches look healthy. You, you used to see Michelle Obama all over handing out fruits and vegetables to children. But as Asher said, in reality, these schools are serving fast food, food that really isn't healthy. So Personally, I used to bring a home lunch, but I know that it's not possible for everyone to bring home lunch. Um, just a simple sandwich or a banana, something easy to bring. Um, but for those who can't, I really think that school lunches should offer a, a bigger variety of foods, especially vegetables, um, because there have been periods of multiple weeks at a time where I haven't seen a single kid eat a vegetable from a school lunch and instead would have only... <laughs> Uh, would have only gotten chicken nuggets or fries. And in middle school, I think our school actually gave the children choices of mm-hmm. what they wanted to get. But rather than giving uh, 10, 11, 12-year-olds the choice of getting only unhealthy food, I think at least if they're getting school lunch, it should be required that they also get some healthy foods, some vegetables, some fruits, and the school should do a better job of making sure that there are more healthy options at school lunches. And I think that's probably ground zero for preventative, um, well, I don't don't want to call it preventative medicine, but preventative health practices. Um, I think this gets into a hard question because it, 
it jumps into the idea of whether or not the schools and, and by default the government can do some level of regulation with what you're eating um, and whether or not they can tell you this is good for you, this is bad for you. But I do think that they're already doing that. Subconsciously, they are priming us to say, you know, chicken, that's really good for us. Like, it's covered in a whole bunch of fat. Um, and I'm not even saying, like, if you have, like, if you cook chicken at home and you, you're not, like, whatever, you're baking it, you're doing whatever you want to do, yeah, that's fine. Better than... But if it's, like, breaded and you don't know where it comes from and it's made by this company that seems really suspect, that's <laughs> probably tied to the fast food companies, they want us to go there. And the unfortunate thing is that lobbying groups, especially for um, the meat, pa- like, the meat industry, for there's a milk lobby. It's literally, it's literally a milk lobby, which is ridiculous, want kids to have buy-in from an early age. And I think that's ridiculously unethical. Because our cognitive functions aren't developed at that point. Yeah, and so like the other thing that I think about, you talked about advertising when it comes to Got Milk. I think it's kind of ridiculous that we get ads as like five-year-old kids, right? Buy this toy. Go and get, go get milk, right? That's going to be good for you. How are you able to advertise towards children who aren't even old enough, one, to make their own choices as to what they're actually going to buy, but two, don't have the cognitive capacity to tell what is right from wrong. To me, that is just blatantly wrong, right? And there's no regulation, and I understand why companies do it. It makes a lot of sense. You get incredible buy-in, you get people for life, Barbie dolls, right? You see advertisements for Barbie dolls, people buy Barbie dolls for their kids. Then down the line, when they become adults, they buy Barbie dolls again. So it's like, yeah, of course it makes sense, but it's just not right. And the hard thing is companies don't really have our best interest in mind. Realizing that's a hard thing because you'd think the people who are giving us drugs, the pharmaceutical companies, you'd think the food industry, agriculture, they all want the best for us because they want customers for life. So in, in your mind, how do we bypass that marketing or at least like recognize that it's happening to us and go towards better decisions? Uh, well, the first step is to just educate yourself. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's difficult for young children to do, but I think parents should be doing a better job of really explaining what kids should eat and not just saying, oh, eat your vegetables because it's good for you. Um, I think if you sat down with your kids and kind of explained what's really important that you eat, what's important that you try to stay away from eating, um, that's the first step. Educate yourself. Know exactly what you should be putting into your body um, because that is the first step to saying, no, I don't want to have this unhealthy food. No, I'm not going to buy into your ads. Um, And that gives you more freedom Mm. of choice. So do you think the job of that education comes from the parents or do you think so this is this is a hot topic now actually canada changed their food you know how there's like the food pyramid they have a food plate they changed their food plate it's not even just half of it is fruits and vegetables they have like 75 percent of it is fruits and vegetables meat is like a sliver a lot of like so we watched this this one youtuber his name is uh it's called simonet nutrition He's, a, he's Canadian. 
Um, but he was like very proud of this because it's basically a push away from all of the, the lobbying from food companies. And he's also vegan. So he's like, this is so much better. It pushes people toward more of an affinity toward plant-based lifestyle. Do you think that we should change our food pyramid? Is that a good place to start? Do you think maybe health classes need to do something related to that? What what could a school do in this case, not just even parents? Um, <clears throat> so I know there have been controversial discussions about our food pyramid when we were learning it, I remember they, they were changing it as we learned it. They yep. changed yeah, yeah, yeah. the oil and the fats. They changed it to a food plate yep. instead of a pyramid. Um, and ingraining into kids' brains something that could be controversial is probably not the best idea. I think rather than teaching kids uh, a reg- such a regimented amount of what, what they should be eating... Um, I think they should really just be talking about boundaries, um, mm. boundaries in the sense of things that they really should not be eating too much of um, and things that are more important for them to eat because a kid's going to understand more. Um, well, I, I actually, I, I think kids really learn the most from seeing things. Mm. Seeing is believing. So if you show kids pictures of different people who undergo different lifestyles and you explain what they're eating um person a person b let's say person a lives an extremely healthy lifestyle they're in good shape person b not so much they're not in the best shape um rather than saying you should be eating 70 percent vegetables uh 20 percent grains 10 percent meat i think it's better to kind of give real life examples that's true because like Who's going to be counting like the percentage point? Oh my God, I'm 71% instead of 71 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on, no kid's going to listen to that. And once they, once you mention numbers, once you mention like quantitative data, I'm just disinterested. Hmm. Yeah. One thing that our dad always likes to say is you can have a healthy life if you eat all the colors of the rainbow in a day, which is like a pretty, it's like a nice so way I'll eat some Skittles. Um, yeah, I mean, t- taste the rainbow. But yeah. no, if you eat Skittles your entire life, you will die. <laughs> um, but I think that's a good good understanding of it. Um, what role do you think, um, for example, regulation when it comes to, to our foods, what role do you think we should be regulating um, our choices? Because that's like a huge thing, right? People will say, I should be able to choose whatever I want to eat. Maybe this just works for me. What role do you think we should be taking in regulating the food that we could potentially have on our plate? Um, so I, I think if you look at, let's say you look at a restaurant example. You go out to a restaurant with your family and you go out to eat. Um, a restaurant menu typically won't have that big a variety of choices. They'll obviously have some unhealthy appetizers maybe some fried squid some other fried food where are you eating (laughs) (laughs) uh but then they'll also have some healthy options and i think as long as you're choosing options that aren't covered in sauce or sugar or fried uh, covered in fat i think as long as you're choosing relatively um plain healthy choices you should be okay Mm -hmm. you you don't need to go crazy about getting the the best choice from every single place that you get because obviously you're not going to like the healthiest choice at every place 
But as long as you stay away from the the bad options, I think that's a good to start go. to regulating. Mm. I think that our idea of good and bad in terms of healthy eating is just flawed. I mean, I think this is a whole another topic of conversation that I could probably rant on about for hours on end, but I don't think that any food is inherently good or bad. Hmm. Like, I don't think that fruits are 100% good because you can overdo that too. But at the same time, I don't think that like Oreos are 100% bad because although maybe like, Maybe in the long term, like if you have a lot of it, it's a bad decision. I think it's just all about moderation. Yeah, I think it, it genuinely though, but it's hard to moderate yourself. And it's super hard to find that middle ground where you feel comfortable and yet your viewpoint suits the world which you're living in. Hmm. You know? I remember this is something that you did, Joey, where you counted your calories. Yeah. Drew, have you ever tried to count calories Macros or what you're eating? Or- yes. Do you find that that's beneficial or because there's a potential for like obsessive ways of their eating, for example, like thinking you're eating way too much. So what what has your experience been with it? I think any beginner or novice in fitness um, in terms of knowing what you're eating, in terms of knowing your macros should be having a general idea of what you're putting into your body. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's so easy today, as we were talking about earlier, using the technology that we have available to us. Uh, You could download any simple app off the App Store and put in a general idea of what portion of food you're eating. And those apps will calculate exactly how many macros you're getting, how many nutrients you're getting. Um, And I think it's a good idea for any, any new person to actually start with that. Because once you do that for a couple weeks, maybe two months or so, you're going to get a good idea of exactly how much you should be eating if you're reaching your goals or not. And after you reach that point, after you know that, it will be ingrained in your memory and you'll you'll have a good idea of what you're eating and you won't actually have to track it so painstakingly after a certain point. Mm. I've never counted any of my calories. Just never felt like it vibed with me. Um, and it's probably because the rest of my family did that for a long time. Um, Joey, I would love if you could talk about your experience about uh, counting calories as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I always just try, I'm very focused on trying to connect my my neural pathways with my body. Um, Figuring out my mind and my body connection, I think are very, very important. And so I think, am I hungry? Okay, I'll eat. Am I not hungry? Okay, I'm not going to eat. If I fill myself up and there's still half of the food left, I'm going to pack it away. Now, mind you, it works in the sense that, like, I'm still living. But it might not work in the sense of, like, me trying to build muscle. uh, Because I know I have to eat more just because my basal metabolic rate is at a baseline higher than other people would because my metabolism is higher. But I've never counted, never felt like I needed to bounced around the idea sometimes but it is kind of annoying like you have to be meticulous mm-hmm. joe what's your experience been like um i actually had to stop counting my calories because i think that i was like borderline eating disorder once i started particularly because i felt like i was just watching everything that i did which it's good to be observant of what you're doing but at the same time like you shouldn't be over obsessing over what you're putting into your body because that's corrosive in and of itself so 
after like maybe a year of counting my calories when I was really on that grind, I was just like, you know, what? I have to take a step back because I was physically feeling ill. Like I felt like I was sick every single day because I was undercaloried and I just didn't feel good. So surprisingly, once I got off of calorie counting, I put on more muscle because I wasn't tracking everything. And I guess my body just needed more nutrition for it to grow. Yeah. Um, so sure, for beginners, be aware of what you're putting in your body, but don't over obsess. If you want to count what you're putting into your body, you can do that through multitudes of ways, not just calorie counting, whether it be just like writing down what you're eating on a piece of paper and being cognizant of what you're putting in your body. That also works. But calorie counting works to an extent, but there is one gripe to that, and that is it can be super obsessive if you have that sort of personality. That's like with, with anything, yeah. pretty much. It's all figuring out what works for you the most. All right. Last two things I think we should talk about. The first one is still a question. What, how, or I should say, how do you balance your healthy life with everything else that we're doing. I like to say that as a high school student, we have like three jobs. We have to be a good student. We have these extracurriculars that we have to do, which basically take up like another job. And we got all the rest of the things that come with being a teenager, hormones, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you balance all of that plus the fitness? So to be honest, there were times during the year where I would just be too tired or I just wouldn't have enough time and I would feel overwhelmed and I just would say, you know what, it's okay, I don't need to work out today. It's it's okay, maybe I won't work out for an entire week. And it's really okay uh, to take a step back and realize that you don't need to be entirely devoted to a lifestyle as long as you stay relatively consistent. Um, but again, it all boils down to what your goals are. If your goals are just to live a healthy lifestyle, as long as you're finding time, um, let's say an hour, an hour and a half, even 30 minutes a day to just fit in some some quick cardio, maybe some push-ups, pull-ups, anything that you could do at home that's easy, um, you're going to stay pretty healthy and it's it's good for your muscles. It's it's great to, to feel those tears, feel sore. <laughs> it's one of the best feelings in the world, honestly. When, when you feel sore muscles the next day and you know that your muscles are growing, Big rush. A lot of people think the pain is is like a bad thing. Well, excessive. I mean, pain if you're like, if you can't walk, is bad. if you can't walk, excessive that's pain bad. is bad. But it's like happened. feeling sore, you're right. It's it's supposed to be indicative of growth, which is kind of weird because um and this gets to a, like a more philosophical thing because I think the only way that we we grow as humans is through some level of pain, whether that be physical whether that be from experiences that we have, whether that be simply by, you know, when we're young, we we might like touch something that's hot and be like, oh my God, that's hot and burn them, burn ourselves. Uh, so it's all growing through pain. It's all learning experiences from our failures, which is something we always talk about. Always talk about, yeah. Joe, how do you balance your fit life with everything that you do, especially being that you're a sophomore? Hmm. Good question. I think the honest answer is that sometimes I don't. And that's part of balance. Yep. It's having a little bit of leniency saying it is okay if I quote unquote cheat here because in the long term it won't have a exponential effect on how my body looks or how I'm feeling. But 
Um, I mean, I just try and stay aware. And I think that although that may sound like a cliche, it genuinely works. Being aware of what you're putting into your body, being aware of what you're doing and organizing it. So literally writing out what you are going to do for the day really sets the intention for the day. We're going to have a pod doc about that coming soon. Mm -hmm. But really just setting an intention for the day and sticking with it, consistency, as you said before, is really key for me. I agree. Um, For me, I've been very bad with my balance. Um, There have been times where I was way underweight and I should not have been. There were times where I lost pretty much all my muscle mass. There were times where I've been more healthy. I feel like I'm more healthy now than I was six months ago. And I think this has been the most important part. I think, as you've said before, Drew, we do a lot of comparison. But the only person we should be comparing ourselves with is our previous self, the person a minute ago, the person six months ago, the person six years ago. Are you progressing? And sure, you're not always going to be progressing in the same way. It's not like you're going to have like that newbie phase where you're just gaining a ton, a ton of weight and a ton of muscle. But instead, if you're comparing yourself with yourself, and this is probably the hardest thing you can do nowadays, given all of the comparison that we have, whether that be supermodels on your television doing ads or Instagram models on Instagram telling you you need to look like this or buy fit tea. So it's hard. But if you're tracking what you're doing, you track something like your weight, you take pictures of of what you look like, not in a self-obsessive way, not for a reason of trying to control all of it, but just to see, is there visible progress? And is there, and checking in with yourself, is there emotional progress, mental progress? That's, I think, the most important way that I've tried to now figure out how to balance my life. Because the hardest thing was always comparison. When I would go into the gym, I'd think, these guys are so much bigger than me. Like, they're around my age. They're bigger than me. How am I ever going to get here? It's just not going to happen. But what I realized is I've had progress already. And that's huge. Like, realizing that is is probably the biggest thing to keep me motivated through it because there's something that's changing. I think a really interesting fact that I once heard is that every five years, every single atom in your body is exchanged for a new atom. So every five years, your entire yourself, you are changed with entirely new atoms. So all it takes is five years to completely change yourself. And it could be any time period in between that. It could be one year, two year. As long as you're making progress, you can change your lifestyle. You can actually make a difference. I love that. That was very, very scientific. Very Drew of you. Very Drew. Last thing. Um, And this is another one. We're going to go around the table. What would you tell your newbie self? What would you tell Drew when he started at New Haven, at Yale? So beta Drew, what yeah. would you tell him It three years, four years down the road that you've learned that you would want to tell yourself? I would tell him to start, first of all, start off by drinking a lot more water. <laughs> <laughs> um, because right now I, I drink so much water. And although it's annoying when you have to go to the bathroom, um, one, it has helped me increase my appetite a ton, maybe even doubled my appetite. I eat so much more now because I've increased the size of my stomach because of drinking water. Hmm. So that's one. And number two would just be to eat more. Um, now, this is something for myself just because I've always been a relatively skinny kid. 
But a lot of people, when they are working out, as Asher said, or as Joey said, have not eaten enough calories. And for me, I was stuck at 120 pounds for an entire year. And I was working out the whole time. I was stuck at this plateau. And I was like, why am I growing any muscle? And if I could go back and change that, I would tell myself, first of all, drink some more water, increase your appetite. And secondly, eat some more calories, eat some more um, nuts, eat some more salmon, some avocado, some high caloric, healthy foods that could really help you uh, reach your goals. Beautiful message. Joe. For I sure. It. Joe, what about you? Hmm. I mean, I think this is just an overall life lesson for myself, but don't over obsess with things. The process will come. The results will come. We just don't, you don't need to focus on the end goal. You need to instead value the process of developing yourself, the process of going on that uh, fit physical journey or, and, and developing yourself from the inside out. You have to embrace that and enjoy every second of it because you're never going to get that newbie phase ever again. You're never going to be able to value that. And what you had in the past is in the past. So value the present. And really just focus and hone in on your craft. Enjoy what you're doing because if you don't, it just won't work out for you. Totally agree. I have this saying up on my wall and I think it's probably my biggest lesson to myself. In my mind, long-term success starts with my own fitness. I'm someone who likes to serve other people, uh, but I never used to serve myself. So if I were to tell myself one thing, it's something that my parents always told me. And it's, you can't serve anyone if you don't serve yourself first. So that's what we're going to leave you all with. Drew, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, dude. Would you like to plug any of your socials? We'll give you the time. Anything, if you want to shout out a gym or <laughs> someone that you really like that you've found useful during your process, you could do that as well. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This has been a great experience. Of course, dude. Um, I guess if I would say one thing. Glenhead Country Club for life. <laughs> <laughs> Their gym, amazing. Love that. For real, for real. That is a wrap on episode 017. I can't believe we're almost at 20, Joey. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. There, yep. Thank you all so much for listening. Please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you are listening. But that's all for this week. Signing off until next week. We out. Peace. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> Love that joke. Oh my gosh.